I noticed some movement, somebody walking toward me at a, at a faster clip than they should be walking at 3.30 in the morning. And I see this dude walking toward me, and he's as he's walking toward me, he's like canting his right hip toward me, and he's yelling at me. I'm like, what the fuck is up with this dude? And it takes me a second to register that what he's trying to show me on his right hip is a holstered gun. And he's screaming. And again, it takes me a second to register what I'm hearing, but he says, fucking shoot me. Shoot me, motherfucker. I'm going to shoot you. Our guest is a supervisor in a suburb of a large metropolitan area in the Pacific Northwest. He's still working, so he has to be anonymous, although he's only got like eight months before he retires. I've known him his entire life because I'm like three years older than he is. He's a family friend. He's a dear friend, as close to a brother as you can get without having the same mom and dad. And he sat down with us and told us, well, honestly, it started off with a blowjob. And how can you go wrong with that? <laughs> And you'll never look at Thanksgiving dinner the same. And then it was just like off the hook from there. What did you think? I thought it was pretty good. We started rolling uh, with him. He said he had some notes written down. So he kind of went off a couple of those. And when we told him like kind of how we'd done some of these before so far, he was like, oh, shit. Okay, so it's going to be like that. So he told he told a couple of the stories he had written down in his notes. And then after that, it was totally off the cuff and super natural. Yeah, he's like, oh, so let me get this straight. You've got a story about a bag of dildos, and you've got a story about some guy siphoning shit out of an RV. He's like, I, I, I totally got some of that stuff. Like, let's go. And it just got better and better. Yeah, so with that, uh, let's have a listen. Two Adam 21, two Adam 22, two Adam 11, and two Adam 12 regarding a gunshot wound victim at 333 North 58th Street. 333 North 58th Street. Shots fired in the cafeteria at Thurston High School. <laughs> yeah, so we were talking about that other podcast. Riley and I were talking about it on the way up here. And he goes, yeah, the difference between them and us is that we've got a story about a guy siphoning shit <laughs> out of an RV and throwing up all over the place. We've got Greg talking about a bag of dildos. <laughs> we've got multiple dildo stories. Yeah, so we do far. actually. So that's that's actually the difference. <laughs> you, you don't you don't spend much time in law enforcement without without a dildo story or two. <laughs> <laughs> so as we go, you start thinking about that. <laughs> Gosh darn! I, <laughs> yeah, I already I, got I started thought, off I on the wrong. Yeah, this was going to be a highbrow uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell was I thinking? Oh yeah. Oh, I got one. <laughs> I definitely have one that we can talk about. Uh, so the other thing is, is that so if you we can do, you can be anonymous on this or you can, which is probably what you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> at least at least for the next uh, eight months and fourteen days. Yeah, so, and that's you know, and that we we already 
we already did a couple where guys needed to be um, needed to be anonymous, and we'll keep it that way. So if you accidentally say somebody's name or a place, we'll just edit it out. Got it. No big deal. Got it. Well, let me. Uh, I wrote down a couple. Two of them are pretty funny. Well, this one's just so short, though. It's, uh, I went down, you know, we do patrols down at the boat landing. And uh, I went down there late one night. And uh, there's one car down there. And anytime there's one car at the boat landing, you know what's going on. So I, I didn't even sneak, man. I just, you know, lights on, just pulled right up behind it. And I, uh, I got out, walk up, walk to the driver's side, shine my light in. And there's this, there's this woman, and I can only, I can only describe her as um, portly. Um, she's leaned over the into the passenger seat, giving this guy a knob job like nobody's business. <laughs> We're getting this one started off on the right. <laughs> well, I'm not even. I, I, I think she knew I was there and. I don't think she really cared that much until I was rapping on the window. Like, you know, hey, let go of my ears. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I knock on the window, and she finally sits up and, and rolls the window down. And I said, hey, you know, here's who I am. And, and uh, you know, this, this area is closed after dark. And she says, she starts talking to me, and I can't really understand her. And... I, I said, what? I'm sorry, excuse me? And she goes, hold on just a second. I said, let me get my teeth. She reaches up on the dashboard and gets her false teeth and pops them in so I could understand her. Jesus. <laughs> and I, the only thing I could think to myself was, you know, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to get a knob job at the boat landing, you know, in the middle of the night, that's probably the way you want to get it. Because <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a tooth in her head. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Man. Um, another one I thought of. It's actually not my story, but it's uh, it happened at my agency. Was uh, <clears throat> this is probably close to twenty years ago? They get a call of a of a uh, fight occurring right on the main drag through through town, and uh, officers come you know, comes screaming up and, and based on the witness statements that dispatch is putting out, they're, they're indicating that, uh, that one of, one of the people involved is, is getting, uh, getting the advantage of the other one pretty, pretty badly. And so, uh, so we, the, the officers kind of step it up to get there and they arrive and there's this female on top of this guy. So there's this female on top of this guy and she's just beating the living shit out of him. And so they, they get her off the guy and uh, they, uh, <laughs> they ask her what's going on. And she's, she's one of the local dopers, you know, everybody knows her and, and we don't really have problems with her. I mean, she's always actually really respectful to the cops, but you know, we know what she is. She knows, you know, we got a job to do, et cetera. So they get her off this guy and they said, what the hell is going on? She, she says, and we, we kind of knew this guy was her pimp. 
she's she's a prostitute. And uh, so we said, what what the hell's going on? And she says, this motherfucker called me a ten dollar whore, and he knows damn good and well I won't do it for less than fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> she actually broke his arm. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> In a town that has as many churches. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're already telling a lot of story about sin. I know. There's a lot of sinning going on in my town. That's for sure. <laughs> that is for sure. Those are the only really funny ones I got. Well, I mean, if you got a morbid sense of humor, I've got some other funny ones, but you, you got to be pretty morbid. Oh, yeah. Let her rip. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Well... The one that, because we're coming into the season, the one that still to this day, and it's been, gosh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago that this happened. I think your brother was actually with me. Um, or he was, yeah, he was actually. Because one of the people involved in this decided to square off with him and try to fight him, which just anybody that knows your brother knows that's a really, really poor idea. But... <laughs> um, so we get a call. It's it's uh, Thanksgiving Day, and I drew the short and short straw, and was the supervisor that day. And uh, you know, it's pretty pretty low key. I mean, we don't expect much of people on Thanksgiving or you know any of the holidays. You just kind of you know sit back and take the calls as they come in, and we get this kind of in in anybody that works with. Uh, the same dispatchers for a long period of time. You can tell by their voice when they come over the radio what kind of call you're going to. I mean, if it's if they're you know kind of monotone and and you know not excited, you don't get excited. But if if they are, you norm, normally recognize it. Hey, it, right. this could be a hot call. So uh, so the dis, dispatch puts out uh, shots fired at a family gathering and uh, one one person down. So we all go screaming up there, and as we arrive on scene, um, the, we see family members kind of walking out of the house, and they're in a daze. I mean, it was, it was uh, that thousand-yard stare that, that you hear about, and you don't really see it that often, um, but you know it when you see it. And out walks uh, one of the females out of the house and she's got um, what I later identified as brain matter uh, rolling down uh, from the top of her head down her down her hair um, and she is pretty much speechless I mean she's she has no idea what to say or what to do so we go inside and uh, I know you can relate to this but when you walk into something fresh like that and you can actually smell and kind of taste the blood in the air. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was that immediately. And as we walk in to the house, uh, the, there's a living room off to the right, kitchens off to the left, pretty open floor plan. And there is remnants of a human head on top of a torso, on top of a body, on the kitchen floor, and there is brain matter everywhere. And just to paint the picture of this, 
So there's, you know, standard kind of family gathering, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. There's, the dinner is laid out on the on the kitchen table, and there's, you know, like most of us Americans, we have, we overindulge on Thanksgiving. So there's like no room to eat at the kitchen table. It's it's literally just you know the turkey and the cranberry and you know all that stuff is laid out, and so everybody is kind of sitting in the living room eating because the kitchen table is covered with food. And I walk in, I see this body on the floor. The head is really non-existent and there is i look up and it's uh you know typical 1970s manufacturer house where you know it's kind of popcorn ceiling and there's really not a square inch of the ceiling that's not covered in material and i look and, and this is what's burned in my image forever is i look at the table this you know with all this food and there are hunks of brain sitting on different dishes. Like, you know, the turkey's got some, the, the green bean casserole, and it's just everywhere. And you can literally see the, like a fog of blood in the air. And so I tell everybody, let's back out until we've got some, some aspirators in, or some respirators and, and you know, maybe get, hazmat suits on because this is not good for us right now so turns out that uh this guy was you know at parents house for uh you know thanksgiving and he just uh for whatever reason pulled out a very very high caliber handgun and was talking to mom in the kitchen he pulls it out of his waistband because you know god forbid you should have a holster for such an item pulls it out, out of his waistband and sticks it under his chin and pulls the trigger. And everybody else is sitting in the living room, mom's standing in the kitchen with him, and she just gets absolutely covered in her son. And it was the most gruesome thing I think I've ever seen. And I, I went, I think, five years where I could not eat Thanksgiving dinner. I just couldn't do it because that is a scarring thing. And I can't even imagine what that family goes through during the holidays because, I mean, how do you get over that? Well, I think the first thing you do is I would have offered you $50. <laughs> to go over and grab a turkey leg? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the first thing I would have done to get over it. It would have taken a lot more than $50. <laughs> Trust me. That's fucked up, man. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's a typical Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, seriously, like a yeah. typical Thanksgiving. So that yeah. people don't understand or see or, you know, or have any idea that that kind of thing ever even happens. Yeah. No, and, you know, like you said, small town, but uh, people have no idea what happens. You know, they, they just have no clue. Okay. No, no, no. So what? So what? Like, well, how large of caliber was it? Like a forty-four Magnum or something, or three fifty-seven, or bigger? Do you remember, four fifty-four Casul. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had always heard of them. I'd never shot one, and uh, you know, I'd I'd heard of the the power. They're they're widely considered to be more powerful than a forty-four Mag, and 
I can attest to that. This dude stuck a like a 308 browning in his mouth with a boss on the end of it. Oh my gosh. And uh, you know how it dissipates the gas? Yep. It fucking, exactly like you're talking about, like fucking vaporized this dude's head. Yeah. Like 360 the room and uh, the bedroom. The body fell over. I think I remember. I think I got a photograph of this. You was there an eyeball on the carpet? No, that was different. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a different one. That, that dude did that in the bathtub. I think um, I still got that photo. So do I. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that dude... That dude, like, vaporized his head, and the fucking body fell over, and the carotid was, like, still, like, his heart was still beating and sprayed all over the walls. And oh, shit. There was, like, there was a bird that was a witness to it. <laughs> <laughs> Polly didn't want a cracker, did he? This fucking bird had, like, little bits of brain, like, white all over it. It's, like, fluffy little white feathers. <laughs> Isn't it weird, the shit that sticks in your mind, though? Oh, yeah. Like, those little details? Yeah. Like, on, on the one I just... I just described the one thing that sticks in my mind is, you know, the cranberry sauce, you know, the, the like, it's like, it comes in a can, you know, and they, they put it on a plate and they'll cut it in slices. And that was there, but there's this hunk of brain matter <laughs> sitting on it. Like, that is the most fucked up thing. I mean, I didn't really like cranberry sauce before that. Now you're like, hey, you want a, you want a turkey sandwich? Or some no, no, sauce? I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> I really don't have an appetite right now. God. That was horrible. And I, I truly, I, I really think about the family every, like every holiday season because, you know, as, as scarring as that was for all the cops there, I can't even imagine what that family goes through every year, you know. They're good people. You know, it was just a, that's just a fucked up thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be the Thanksgiving episode, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah <laughs> shit. I started years ago, probably probably 10 or 12 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. I don't know. I started like writing down notes of things that I remembered throughout my career that, you know, either funny or, or traumatic or whatever. And somewhere I lost it. I have no idea what, that, what happened to it. But I really wish that I had started doing that early in my career because there there are so many things that happen in your career that are funnier than hell and like you know that people would love to hear about it cuz people have no clue what happens in law enforcement but you you forget about it after time and it's not until you're sitting around like drinking and bullshitting with your buddies that were there with you that you're like you know somebody'll say hey remember the time and then you'll remember a detail about it yeah and and then you kind of you know you build on it and you know but it's I lose it, you know. After oh, that's because you fi- you file it away. So with all the other things like Thanksgiving dinner, so that you forget about it, and you don't have mm-hmm. to think about it, you know. Very true. Yeah. Here you need some of this. Well, let me get rid of this uh, lime because whiskey and lime don't go together. Thank you. Here to uh, podcasts. Hang on a second. <laughs> I gotta pour myself more. How'd you hurt yourself? Oh shit. So uh I can always like most stories where shit goes sideways, I can start it off by saying, so there I was working a fucking shift with your brother. Because there's something in the chemistry of when I Yeah, sorry, I, I don't slow down very well. <laughs> 
Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> this is gonna get good. There's something about the <laughs> the chemistry of when I work with your brother that, and it's not it, it, it it's nothing that we do. It's just like the universe decides that shit's gonna go really bad when your brother and I work together. It just always happens. So it was a it was a fucking Sunday night, okay? Sunday night, nothing should have should have been going on. And we get a call of a suicidal person, and you know, ninety nine point nine percent of suicidal you know calls are really, you know, low key, like you know, big deal. You know, either a they were kidding around to get you know attention from their girlfriend, or yeah, they were feeling that way, and you know, you get them to the hospital and get an eval done, and you know, that's the end of it. Well, this one happens to be this guy who had decided to actually cut his wrist and do a pretty good job of it. So I get there with your brother and the there was so this guy lives with some friends. They're all adults. He lives with some friends. And uh the female friend, so it's her and her husband and they and she lives with they, they all live with this guy. And uh, they have, I, I think, some kind of professional relationship. So she comes out, and she, she's really nice, and she you know, starts giving us some background on what's going on with this guy and the fact that you know, we really need to take this seriously because he's legit you know, suicidal. She shows us his pants that he had taken off after he got home, and they're just covered in blood from top to bottom. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, where is this guy? So he's like in another room talking to her husband. And so she calls to him and he comes down and I'm looking at him. And I'm like, yeah, there's a little spot of blood on his, on his shorts, but you know, not anything remarkable, but I'm like, you know, where the hell did all this blood come from on his pants? So we're talking to him and your brother's lead on this. So I'm just kind of being quiet, standing off on the side and, and your brother's saying, Hey, you know, we, we got this information that you know, you, you wanted to hurt yourself. And he's like, and the guy's just being a dick. He's in, he's being an arrogant dick. This guy, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give too much detail on this because it would be very easy to figure it out. But this guy's a professional, um, an educated person and he knows it and he's going to let you know it. He's, you know, he's one of those people who talks down to you and, and uh, essentially, is just a dick from the word go. So your brother's talking to him and he's saying, hey, you know, based on what we've seen and, and during the conversation, your brother, the, the guy was drunk. And as you know, drunk people are easy to, to, sorry, my, my dog just ran up here. <laughs> That's Lucy. So uh, drunk people are pretty easy to get to get truth out of, you know, because they, they, uh, you know, they're not, they're not all that bright. So, uh, so your brother, you know, is talking to this guy and he gets him to admit, yeah, he attempted to kill himself. And I'm having a hard time figuring out where the injury is. Well, finally I, I see his wrist and it's, it's filleted open. And this guy did it. I mean, he did a solid job of it. And so your brother, you know, in, in Oregon, you know, you, if you have 
uh, if you, as a police officer, you, you have probable cause to believe that someone is an imminent threat to themselves or others uh, due to psychological issues that, you know, you can do what's called a POC, a peace officer custody. So your brother says, hey, man, listen, I have probable cause to believe that, you know, you, you're an imminent threat to yourself and, you know, in your best interest, I'm going to take you into custody on a, on a peace officer custody. And this guy goes, no. <laughs> okay. Well, I know how this is going to go at this point. So your brother kind of, you know, again, very gently, he's like de-escalating this guy. And he's like, hey, man, come on. You know, let me help you. And this guy's like, no. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> this is not going to go well. So it's a nice house, super nice house, high end. Everything is really like super nice. And I come around this table to get my, to get, you know, his other arm and the fight's on. This guy is not going. He is going to be a dick. So we're trying to talk to him. We're trying to, you know, down, you know, de-escalate, talk him into it. And he's just, there's nothing he's going to, there's nothing you can say to make this guy want to go with the program. And I, I worked with your brother long enough that I, I know his looks. And when I see him looking around side to side, <laughs> I know damn good and well what he's exactly doing. He's, where am I going to dump this guy, right? Well, he's standing next to, this, next to this big glass door that goes into another room. It's an old house, right? And we're standing, we're standing right in the, in the dining, the formal dining room. And there's this like probably 14 foot long table that looks really super expensive. And fuck the guy, <laughs> this guy I'm working this with, this guy I'm working with, is <laughs> like, fuck, I don't, I don't see where I'm going to dump this dude. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reading it. And I'm like, okay, we're going to chicken wing this guy. We're going to get him cuffed up and we'll go from there. Well, the guy, <laughs> uh, somehow figures out that he's going to grab his right arm and I grab his left arm. Well, the left arm's the one that he had cut his wrist on. So I, I get a cuff on, and it opens up this cut that he had, like, oh, I think I think it had been a little while since he did it. And what I didn't realize beforehand was that he had actually gotten an artery. And so this dude starts spurting blood, like, all over the place. He's getting it on me. He's getting it on the floor. He's get, I mean, it's going everywhere. And I'm looking at your brother like, what the fuck is going on? And so uh, we finally get him, we get him cuffed up and he's just, in, and I get on the radio and I'm like, get the medics in here ASAP because this guy's, you know, it's one of those, you know, arterial spurts, right? So get the medics in, get him, get him on the gurney, get him outside. And I didn't. And all it was, literally, we never went to the ground. We never, you know, we weren't, it wasn't a big tussle. It was just one of those leverage custodies where, like, it's what you would call non-compliant handcuffing. Yeah. Right? So it's just essentially you get you get the guy's arm behind his back and, you know, he's resisting. And, you know, I mean, we've done it a thousand times. You know, every cop in the world has done this a thousand times. And I didn't, you know, I didn't think anything of it. We get him, get him on the gurney. Medics take him to the hospital. 
and it's my Friday night. You know, it's my Friday, so I get to the end of my shift, and you know, I'm not. I, I realize later I get to the hospital and to because we we had to go down and fill out the POC paperwork on this guy, and uh, and as I walk in, one of the nurses looks at me and she goes, "You smell like blood." I'm like, "Oh, perfect." She goes, I guarantee you've got, and, and I'm looking at my hands. I'm like, yeah, I've got, you know, blood on me. Cause I've, of course I didn't have time to glove up, you know, before we take this guy into custody. So I go back into the ER and into one of the staff, uh, washrooms. I get cleaned up and, and I realized, no, I've got blood all over my vest. We were, we're external carriers and I've got blood all over my vest. So I'm like, fuck. So I go back to the PD and I'm like decon and everything and, you know, get my, my vest all taken apart and I take it over to the the fire department where they have a bio washing machine and get it all taken care of. And again, I didn't really think much of it. Um, I mean, I didn't recognize anything, but I wake up the next morning, I go home after my shift, go to bed. I wake up the next morning. I'm like, fuck man, my shoulder hurts. What's going on? And so yeah, whatever. So I start loading up on ibuprofen. I'm popping four at a time, you know, get through the weekend Maybe there may have been some gin involved too to, to, to you know take the edge off, and uh, I, I get to so we have we work four tens. I get to my my Monday. I'm like my fucking shoulder hurts, so I go and I tell my captain. I'm like, hey man, now understand something. I've been a cop for over a quarter of a century. Okay, I have not once in my entire career filed a workers' comp claim. No shit. Never. I mean, I've trust me, I've had the shit kicked out of me a couple times and I've gotten hurt, but I'm like, hey, you know what, man up, do your do your job, you know, whatever. I go to my captain on my Monday, I'm like, hey man, I need to fucking file a workers' comp claim. My fucking shoulder hurts. And so he's like, Yeah, man, no problem. So we we do it and um it's been you know, like a month now. And Did you tear something or what? I don't know yet. I haven't had any imaging done, so yeah. I'm not sure. But still hurt. Still hurt the same. Uh, you know, it's different. It's like if you, you know, I would say more than anything, it, it like it just feels weak. I know it's kind of weird, but for like, like the first three weeks, it felt like there was somebody had built a campfire in the joint. Um, now that like. It only hurts, you know, if I if I do certain motions is where I'll get the sharp pain. But it's not; it doesn't really hurt so much now. It's just like it feels weak inside. So yeah, it wasn't a it was it wasn't a really exciting story. I didn't even know I did it until like the next day. That's the thing, right? Yeah, it's like you. Yeah, I would always fuck up my fingers. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's the one thing that I would be like, God, you know, and it wouldn't even be anything big mm-hmm. it's just a little bit of tightening up and then you know you tighten up and yeah you're grabbing people's hands and fingers and wrists and shit like that and inevitably i'd be like oh man fucking fingers hurt again yeah <laughs> i remember you jumping into uh i think it was the willamette river to save a guy one time yeah so i remember <clears throat> i remember sitting at a briefing table and uh like with I don't know like eight guys or something you know for a shift and I was like that guy's been in a shooting 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 that guy's new 
<laughs> He'll get in a shooting. And I've got a confirmed drown. I've got a confirmed kill by drowning. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't for lack of trying to pull him in, though. <laughs> yeah, that was a. I don't know of a lot of cops that would have done that. You like that stuff? Yeah, it's good. Light lagger. You're an IPA guy, though, aren't you? Yeah, this is good. This is good stuff. Um, let's talk about you walking out of. I think it was. Yeah. What is that? It's, it's a, a grocery store. Grocery lo- store. Local okay. grocery store. Yeah, that was uh, April fifteenth, two thousand ten. But who's counting? Uh, I'm working graveyard shift. And uh, I love how the. When, when, when they did the press release, they said that I was doing a routine patrol check at the local grocery store. Fuck that. I was going in to get something to eat. <laughs> I wasn't checking shit. <laughs> I was going to get something to eat. As, as I recall, I got some Tim's potato chips uh, and some, uh, some fucking gut buster burrito or something. I totally long pour it either. Sorry. Uh, that's not a long pour. <laughs> Well, yeah, but we still have to go home. Welcome to my house. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to work in the morning. <laughs> so, like ten thirty. Ah, shit, man, you're, <laughs> you're golden. I gotta, I gotta be up at five thirty in the morning. So, uh, yeah, it's like three. I want to say three thirty in the morning. I go in, grab my stuff, pay for it, come walking. And what was weird is, okay, so as I pulled into the parking lot, I see. You know, you don't see a lot of vehicles in the parking lot of this place. It's a 24-hour grocery store. And you don't see a lot of uh, vehicles in the parking lot of this place normally at that time of the morning. But I pull in and I see this vehicle that, you know, I don't know. I'm like, oh, what the fuck's that? So I I run the plate. Comes back to a local guy that I'm familiar with. And I'm like, "Eh, eh, whatever. Wasn't stolen. I didn't give a shit. I'm hungry. So I go in get my stuff I come rolling out the door fat dumb and happy and as I come out of the the door I notice some movement and you know like I was in I was in like condition white at that point it was like it's 3.30 in the morning and you know I'm fucking tired I'm hungry I, I don't really care about you know anything so uh I noticed some movement, somebody walking toward me at a, at a faster clip than they should be walking at 3.30 in the morning. And I see this dude walking toward me, and he's as he's walking toward me, he's like canting his right hip toward me, and he's yelling at me. I'm like, what the fuck is up with this dude? And it takes me a second to register that what he's trying to show me on his right hip is a holstered gun. And he's screaming. And again, it takes me a second to register what I'm hearing, but he says, fucking shoot me. Shoot me, motherfucker. I'm going to shoot you. Well, I'm not all that bright, but a little light bulb goes on over my head, and I think, hmm, I should probably get some cover and get my fucking gun out at this point. So I back, so this grocery store has, you know, the sliding doors. You know, or actually, they're not sliding. They, they automatically open up when you get close to them. They get the, you know, the sensors on them. And so I back in, and I, and I know that there's brick on the outside of this building. So I, 
I back in, so I've got the the brick corner between me and this dude, and I've got my gun out, and I throw my I throw my lunch on the ground along with and I and what was weird is I had so I you know I got into a habit a long time ago. I never put anything in my right hand. Right, because you're right-handed. Yeah. Yeah, right. So I've got my key for my car and my lunch in my left hand. So I throw them down on the ground. I, I unholster, and I come up, and I'm pointing my gun at this dude. And, you know, everything's kind of – it happened really fast. I'm like, okay, I know who this is. This is the guy whose plate I ran when I pulled into the parking lot. And he's showing me a gun that, that it, at that point is still holstered, but he's yelling at me shoot me, motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, that's not good. That's a, that's a, bad, that's a bad sign. So I, uh, I draw down on him, and, I'm, and I call him by name. I say, hey, man, back off. You know, what, what are you doing? Just chill out. Let's, let's work through this. What are you doing? And he just keeps yelling the same thing. Shoot me or I'm going to shoot you. Gun's still holstered at that point. So I, you know, I'm, I'm in a relatively good position to cover. Um, he's not advancing on me anymore. He's, he's staying away from me about, he's probably 15 feet away from me at that point. But I got this corner of the building, uh, this brick corner of the building between me and him. And so I get on the radio, and I, you know, I say, "Hey, I got this guy with a gun that's saying, hey, shoot me, or I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna shoot you.'" And and I think I had two other guys working that with me that night, small town. So you know, I, obviously, I'd already told dispatch where I was, and uh, so they were dispatch was able to tell the other, the two other officers, you know, where I was. And I'm just talking to this guy, and I'm trying to kind of de-escalate him, saying, hey, man, I don't know what's going on, but we don't have to do this. I'm calling him by name because, again, I ran his plate when I pulled in. I know this guy. He's, he's a local. And I'm saying, hey, man, we don't have to do this. And the other two officers showed up, and they took great positions. One of them uh, came in across uh, – across the the main drag in our town and parked kind of in an alleyway where he had a good view he deploys a long gun just exactly like he should and then the other officer the third officer shows up and he's kind of kitty corner across the main drag uh, from a different angle so i mean we got we got these guys did exactly what they should do and i'm talking to this guy i'm trying to back him down and he's just like he I could tell he was he was probably drunk just by you know he's slurring his words and he's he's you know just not making a lot of sense. He just keeps repeating the same thing. Shoot me or I'm gonna shoot you. Dipping his 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 uh, his hip toward me, and then move, he would move his hand toward his gun. You know he's he's really uh, he's really you know trying to get me to to unload on him. But uh, he's he's dipping the hip and moving the hand toward the gun and getting a little bit more and more aggressive about this all the time. And uh, when he realizes that you know I'm not 
trigger happy and I'm not going to just shoot him because he hasn't presented that imminent threat to me yet, he starts focusing on these other two officers. And so he, he walks across the street toward the second guy that got there who's got the long gun. And he's saying the same thing. Shoot me, motherfucker. I'm going to shoot you. And, you know, I'm, I'm a relatively young supervisor at that time. And uh, the only thing that's going through my head at that point is, fuck, I should have shot this guy because now I'm putting one of my guys in the, in the position where he's going to have to do it. And I, I was like this overwhelming sense of guilt because I know that this guy is intent on dying and because I wouldn't pull the trigger on him because he didn't give me enough reason to, in my mind, uh, he is going to make one of my guys do it and he's going to have to live with that. And so I'm pissed. I'm pissed at this dude and I'm pissed at myself. So I, uh, I yell back at him. I'm like, come, you know, come back over here and talk to me. Well, when he realizes that the second guy on scene, who is just a fucking rock solid dude, he is just, he's the kind of guy you want on a call like that. He's mature, he's, uh, he is measured, he is uh, just a good man, and he's not gonna shoot anybody for any reason other than if he has to. So he realizes this guy's not gonna pull the trigger on him either. And so then he, he focuses his attention on the third cop that shows up. He's doing the same shit. But he's, you can tell he's just not, he's not at the point where he's going to uh, pull the gun at that, at that moment. So anyway, bottom line is he kind of takes a position sort of in between the three of us. And he, uh, he pulls the gun out of the holster. And he puts it up under his chin. Talking, you know, he's he's talking during this time. He's saying, "I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull, you know, I'm going to pull the trigger." Yada yada. And I'm trying to talk him down. So I'm going to fast forward here. We do this bullshit for, I want to say it was two and a half hours. Wow. Where I'm negotiating with this asshole, and I I happen to know a little bit about him, his personal life, so I'm kind of focusing on things that he has to live for, uh, his daughter, and you know, stuff like that. And uh, he, you know, if I finally get him to put the, the gun back in the holster and then I get him to agree that, okay, if, if I'll let him call his girlfriend, because for whatever reason he didn't have his cell phone on him. Uh, so this is 2010, you know, I guess we weren't as attached to our cell phones back then as we are now. Uh, I, I get him to agree if I'll let him call his girlfriend that he'll give up the gun. And again, I'm fast forwarding a lot here. This is like two and a half hours. So, and in the meantime, you know, OSP SWAT team has been called out. Uh, several other agencies have shown up to, uh, you know, help shut down traffic because he's essentially, he's a major highway is between me and him at this point. And so we obviously can't have traffic driving through this situation. And so, 
she retreated all the way across the street. He he retreated across the street. Oh, he did. He did. Okay. Yeah. So I I stayed where I was at, and he retreated across the street because remember he had gone and kind of challenged these other two officers that showed up. Gotcha. And then when he realized none of us really wanted to shoot his dumbass, he uh, he kind of took a position, really kind of in between all three of us. It was kind of a triangulated thing. So uh, highway shut down. Um, he had, you know, he, he agrees, you know, give me a cell phone. Let me call my girlfriend and I'll give you the gun. So I get a, I get a phone, toss it out. I, I purposely short tossed it, you know, so he'd have to come closer to us, you know, where he couldn't get back to his position of advantage where he'd been. And, uh, he comes out, grabs the phone, makes a phone call. And I said, okay, man, uh, you know, I did my part, dropped the gun really slowly, you know, fingertips. He does, drops it, and we just bum rush him and tackle him. And uh, so understand that I'm on, I'm in like condition black for two and a half hours dealing with this guy, right? And I'm the one person that's talking to him, okay? So my adrenaline has dumped and then built back up, redumped many many times over at this point right so we get this guy uh, a bunch of people you know bomb rush him get him on the ground get him cuffed up get the gun secure everything's cool and somebody had had the the uh, presence of mind to call a uh, one of our patrol canines you know in case he ran or whatever you know to help out so the guy with the patrol canine is standing there, you know, holding holding this dog on the leash, and and you know, I'm invested in this, probably over invested in this thing by now, and so I get, uh, I'm I'm up on it because I, you know, I'm, I I don't, I want to be part of the custody, I want to be part of you know what's going down, and so this patrol canine handler, <laughs> somehow, and I'll I'll take you know. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna assign 15% of the blame on this. 85 is still on this guy, and he knows it. And I've told him a hundred times. So he's got his dog barking, but you know it's not at a point where he's gonna deploy his dog on this guy yet. So I kind of, I kind of got in a position between the bad guy and the dog, and this dog is an asshole. Okay, this dog is like one of those dogs who just likes to bite people. <laughs> okay. And out of the blue, all of a sudden, I feel this fucking searing, hot pain in my right calf. And this dog has taken a big old bite out of my calf because he wanted to fucking bite somebody. And Handler wasn't letting him bite the bad guy, so he's going to bite me because I'm close. Is the dog still alive? Well, that's the funny part. So I fucking, <laughs> so I draw my gun and I turn around and I point my gun at this dog because, again, my adrenaline has dumped, recharged, dumped, recharged multiple times, and I'm fucking ready for some action at this point. And I'm going to shoot this dog. And I tell the handler, get out of my fucking way. I'm going to shoot your dog. <laughs> God bless him. He stands between me and the dog and says, please don't shoot my dog. So I gather my wits, reholster my gun, and say, okay, I won't shoot your dog. <laughs> But get it the fuck away from me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. 
and uh, we took the guy. He, the guy got a cut on his uh, chin, I think, and we had to take him to the hospital, get him stitched up, and uh, took him to jail. He was a he was a convicted felon, so we lodged him on felon in possession and uh, a couple other minor charges, and he's still walking around today. So that's it. And correct me if I'm wrong, we can edit this part out if I am, but uh, it was the son of somebody that either just had retired. Correct. Right? Yeah. 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 So it was somebody you knew well and somebody you'd work with. Uh, the son of somebody I'd work with, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, it, it, there was, uh, yeah, I knew him. I knew, I knew his background. I knew, you know, his history. So, yeah, I mean, and that, and that didn't really change anything, you know, about with regard to what I did or why I did it. Um, oh, it can't. No, no, it can't. You know, and a lot of people don't recognize this, but, you know, the last thing a cop wants to do is shoot somebody. Pe- people, you know, think that there's a bunch of bloodthirsty thugs out there. The fact is, even if you don't have, uh, even if, if it's from the perspective of, of who you are as a human being, you know, take that out of the equation. The fact is that it's a, um, you're scrutinized terribly if you pull the trigger on somebody. And so it's the last thing you want to do. And, you know, of course, the, the, the fact is that we're all human beings and we have souls and we, you know, we don't want to take a human life unless, unless we have to. But on top of that, you're scrutinized. And, uh, you know, I, I would imagine the vast majority of officers in the in the same position as me wouldn't have pulled the trigger on this guy. Was it justified? Hundred percent. I could have shot him ten times over and been one hundred percent legally justified. But yeah. there were other options. Right. Was it the right thing to do? No. For you, no. It wasn't the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. Now, and that that being said, um, you know, we know that action is faster than reaction, right? I'm a guy who's, you know, I was a, I was a firearms instructor for 20, 20 years. Uh, I practice constantly. I'm a pretty fucking good shot, and I'm, I've got a good reaction time. Now, if that had been a new officer who, you know, just picked up a Glock 17 the week before and got through the academy, I would say, yeah, shoot that motherfucker because you can't react as fast as he can act. So it's all relative, you know, it's all based on your training, your experience, your abilities. Just because I did it that way doesn't mean it wouldn't have been right to shoot him for somebody else. Well, I think the other the other thing is like like as a new as a new guy, new cop, your ability to like reason under stress, yes, make like good decisions or make you know, reasonable decisions under stress is far different yes. than your ability as a 25-year cop yeah. to make reasonable decisions under stress. Because, like, you're used to making fucked-up decisions. On, I, I don't mean fucked-up, yeah. like, wrong. No. No, I but, like, you. decisions under stress. Right. Like, extreme stress like that. Well, and, and the other thing, too, is we learn tells, Right. As an experienced exactly, police right. officer, you know, have you heard of the book Left of Bang? I have not. So it's written by a, a combat Marine. And he talks about 
uh, how we as human beings uh, need to learn to trust those the, the intuition, trust our those little tells that you know even a you know like a mom let's say a mom with a little kid and they walk into a store and there's some guy that's just not looking at their kid right or something like that they need to learn to trust those those feelings well what this guy says in his book is that if you if you really want to learn uh if you if you want to see the most effective people at that in the world cops because cops have to deal with they they have to learn people's tells and they do it day in and day out every single day they 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 learn their mannerisms they you know those inflections in their voice the the little physical things that they do you know the pre-attack indicators that we hear about and he even says you know cops are more much more effective at that than you know combat hardened marines because combat hardened marines they do that for one deployment or two deployments on a very limited basis but cops are doing that on a daily basis right so it's it's a solid book and it in it um i think it brings to light a lot of what you know and and we get these assholes who come in and say you know cops should shoot people in the knee instead you know fuck you yeah, that's a fucking stupid. That came up in a conversation like probably like two months ago. Yeah. You should have shot him in the leg. Go f- fuck yeah. you. Yeah, that, you know, these people, like, they, that's the stupidest they don't know thing what they're, heard. exactly. They don't know what they're talking about, but yet, you know, they're an expert on law enforcement. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. No, man, I'm right there with you. Yeah, everybody's a fucking expert. <laughs> Work a couple graveyard rotations and then come talk to me about fucking what I should do, you dick. <laughs> Sorry, I've had too much whiskey. No, you're good. You're good. This is exactly what we were looking for. Yeah, so totally remember going down there with Dad. Yeah. Yeah. That that guy was a master of Smith & Wesson revolvers. Like... You could always tell the trigger pull on a on a what they call Carterized, because his last name was Carter, right? Yeah. So they would they would call him Carterized, and the guy would would do the triggers on these Smith and Wesson revolvers. And every cop in the Northwest who was an accomplished shooter would take their gun to him, their their Smith, and and have him do the trigger. And you could always tell you'd pull the trigger and it's smooth as glass. Yeah, so that one that you just showed us, uh, Dad's is smoother than that one. Nice. It's like you sneeze and the thing goes off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You remember your dad's uh, your dad's backup that he would always carry in his pocket? Yeah. He always had rubber bands wrapped around the handle. I do, yeah. yeah. I remember that, yeah. You know, you may not know this about your grandfather, uh, I started in, in law enforcement uh, 26 plus years ago. Your grandfather was the best fucking cop I ever knew. That guy was an ass kicker. He was fair. He 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 cared about people. I, I watched your grandfather take his own personal credit card and fill up people's gas tanks many times when they were trying to get somewhere. But if some motherfucker ever crossed him or one of his officers, it was a bad day for them. But your your grandfather was 
he was the cop that I always wanted to be. So take that for what it's worth. I've known very little about besides the first one of these we did was with him. Besides that, I know almost nothing about him being a cop. He was he was my FTO. He was my field training officer. And I learned more from him than I learned from any other police officer. You know what you know one of the the one thing that stands out in my mind that he taught me? Yeah, what's that? So we're driving along one night. I'm a I'm a reserve officer and he's he's filling out my field training manual. We're working graveyard because your grandfather loved he worked graveyard a lot. Not necessarily because he liked it, but he, he just did it. And we're driving along one night and he says, Hey, you wanna know the 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 key, the 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 secret to uh, to surviving a law enforcement career. And I said, what? And I'm waiting, I'm thinking, you know, like, is he gonna give me a wider quote? Is he gonna is he gonna, you know, keep your powder dry and your head down, you know, something like that. He goes, <laughs> keep your pecker in your pants. That's, <laughs> that's what he told me. Keep your pecker in your pants. You know, I've always remembered that. <laughs> he was a funny guy. But yeah, your grandfather was a hell of a police officer. Good man. Good man. <laughs> Why is that all that shit in Japanese or Chinese or Korean or whatever? What are we looking at? At your gun safe. Oh, because, okay, so my wife, Korean, my wife went it? to China. Oh, China. Yeah, she goes to China and she comes back. She she went with her mom and her sisters. They like to travel a lot. They've gone to Italy and Scotland and and China and other places and she brings those back for me. So yeah. I get these uh so these are are Chinese interpretations of what they think American quotes should be. All my friends are troublemaker. You are my love. Hold on. You are my love, my angle. Don't treat me like potato. Kick your ass is wrong. I don't want to be right. And my favorite, beware of neighbor who break fart like drop the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife knows me well. <laughs> and we're, we're sitting in my, uh, my office. It, after my oldest boy moved out, I was able to transform this uh, into my office. Yeah, yeah, I see you looking at my clock on the wall. Uh, actually, just... <laughs> that's pretty funny. So a couple of my officers years ago uh, took one of the office clocks and they cut out a Lieutenant Dangle, uh, Lieutenant Dangle's body. And they actually... I'm, I'm actually really impressed at the artistic talent here. They, uh, they put his legs and uniform so they they put his legs on the on the hour and, and minute hand on the clock and my face on the head and along with lieutenant dangle's body i'm getting a picture of that before we leave oh yeah <laughs> and so what's you know what's awesome about that clock is at roughly around 10 10 or right around there you know the legs are in the perfect position where it it, it truly it it truly tells a tale yeah. <laughs> that's pretty damn funny yeah it's good stuff <laughs> that sat in our office it's funny because so 
the sergeants in our agency all share a uh, an office, and one of our sergeants is like uber prudish and like by the book. And that that clock sat in our in our office for many years, and he finally lost his mind. He like he couldn't he couldn't uh, take it anymore because he was afraid somebody was going to walk in and see it because it's not inappropriate, but like if you're totally anal, you could see it as inappropriate, right? So he went out and bought another clock to take its place because he did not want somebody who shouldn't be in there to come in and see it. And he donated it to me because he, he felt like it should be something at home as opposed to something in the office. Hopefully somebody came in and like retrofitted the new clock too, <laughs> just, to, just to fuck with whoever that was. You know, that's actually a good idea. <laughs> I'm here to help. We should definitely. <laughs> I'm full of good ideas. I tell your brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I give you a hundred bucks if you eat that chicken leg, or turkey leg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's going to take more than a hundred. <laughs> we had this guy that when the, when the dub team would go do a, warrants he was like on his third divorce or something like that and he was like had no money and so they would do that they would like go do a search warrant and it was like meth heads back in the 90s right so they'd be like hey i'll give you 50 bucks if you eat that donut (laughs) you know that's been on the table for like 16 days and a couple times he was like thinking about it (laughs) True story. Yeah, I believe it. I absolutely believe it. I've seen cops that were hard up for money before. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. I think one of the one of the greatest gifts I've been given in the last like ten years has been able to travel. Yeah. And because you stop being you stop being the, this like small-minded person. Yeah, that thinks can only see past, like can't, or can't see past like the bullshit in Portland. Right. Like you're like uh, Mark, who's in Singapore, said, "Hey man, now that you're traveled, you're like, you're not just an American. You're like a citizen of the world." And he's go. totally right. Yeah. You know, like yeah. he t- he's totally right. Like you, like you, you're not racist. Right. Yeah. You're not. Uh, you know, you have this, you have, there's, there's a bigger thing that you see. It's Absolutely. Like one, that people are the same. Yeah. Regardless of where you're at. We're all individuals. Yeah. But, but everybody that I've come into contact with and the work that I have done is, it's not like being a tourist. It's actually, you know, like being with people that are actually working. Right. And that's, um, I mean, it's been a blessing. Like it's, it, you know, it's like, it's hard to go somewhere and like be only be there for a short period of time and like have your sleep all fucked up and all that stuff. Yeah. But like you get to see all these people that they're working. Yeah. They're kind. Yeah. You, you know, meet people that, nice. that have different life experiences, right? but they're human <clears throat> fucking beings. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, crazy, crazy thought. <laughs> I know. It's Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Riley need another beer. I'm still working on this one. There's a, I think there's an empty one right there. Work harder. 
What's that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All of us want to live and be left alone and, and be judged on, on ourselves as individuals as opposed to stereotypes, right? Americans so, are all assholes. <laughs> That's a joke, by the way. In case I ever run for political office later on, you know, I, I was I was speaking to the stereotype. So, so I, I was going to tell Riley one of the so one of the things like getting getting back to police work. One of the things I'm I'm jealous about you two, not you two, but you know, yeah, me and your brother, yeah, is that you got to work where you get it. You're working. And we we have a great agency, and I did not have, I I I was unable to have that opportunity because Dad was working there. Yeah, yeah. I always I actually thought about that a lot, um, because you know it's funny because like your brother and I we joke about it all the time about how when we and and I'm telling you I swear to you I don't know if it's by design or just by uh, luck. But most of the time, we're not on the same shift. Because I am telling you right now, if we were on the same shift, shit would abs. I'm Armageddon would happen because, for whatever reason, when you mix us, it goes sideways. And if there were three, if there were three of us there, it, it would be a shit show. I'm telling you. You should get me hired. Though. I should. I should get you hired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, you, uh, you did what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, 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 I don't. I don't think our city's ready for that. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad enough that your brother and I work together. If if you had the same DNA in the, in that place, it would it would be bad. It would be a bad, bad chemistry. An apple doesn't fall for too far oh, from the yeah. tree. Fuck yeah. I remember one time, <laughs> I'll tell you, Riley, I'm telling you stories about your granddad, so you can take these or leave them, but they're all true. So I'll treat him as such. You should. <laughs> so uh, one time, one time I, uh, I took a call of a vehicle into a house up on uh, one of the major arteries of, of our city. And I get there, and sure as shit, it was a vehicle into a house. <laughs> Some drunk fucker had driven his car into somebody's house and, and did a lot of damage. And I'll be darned if he didn't stick stick around. He was gone. He left his car there. Well, his plates were still on the car, so I knew who he was. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking for him, and I finally find him uh, a few streets away, and uh, I jump out of the car and. And uh, chase after him and get a hold of him. And and he's going over a fence just as, as I grab, like, the back of his jacket. And he gets over this, like, probably six-foot wooden fence. And I'm holding on to him. And he's he's going back and forth. And my arm's just getting, you know, raked over the top of this fence and, and torn up. And finally, I got to let go because I, I can't hold on to him any longer. Well, your granddad was on the other side. And he gets a hold of this guy. Well, he happens to have another officer with him. And so try to picture this, okay? So the other officer gets a hold of, say, one arm of this guy. And your granddad gets a hold of the other arm, okay? 
Well, they give him they give him commands. They tell him get on the ground, get on the ground. He won't do it. This guy's trying to get away. He's being a dick. He's drunk, being stupid. So your granddad says, "I'm taking him to the ground." Well, the mistake that the other officer made was he didn't fucking let go of the other arm. <laughs> and I get over the fence just as your granddad is doing an armbar takedown sweep with this guy. And I swear to you, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I wouldn't believe it was true. He fucking grabs this guy, he puts one arm on his shoulder, the other arm, the other hand is uh, looped around this guy's wrist, right? He, he starts spinning this guy, okay? Picture a physics lesson in centrifugal force, okay? He fucking lifts this guy off the ground, and he wasn't a small guy. Well, the other officer has a hold of his other arm, okay? Your grandfather launches the other officer in the air in this, like, parabolic whatever. The guy... So both bad guy and other officer's feet leave the ground while your granddad swings them around to take this guy to the ground. And, of course, the officer's on the worst end of it because he's on the end of the parabola of, of, of the centrifugal you know, swing, right? And he hit like a ton of shit on the ground. <laughs> they get this guy hooked up. You know, I think I got there just as we were getting cuffs on him. And the other officer gets up and he's like shaking his head like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you, you just got Sergeant James. <laughs> Sometimes violence is the answer. Sometimes it is. <laughs> your, your grandfather was one of the most powerful human beings I ever met in my life. That guy. And you know what's funny is if you watch him, he, he moves like molasses, right? He fucking moves like lightning when he wants to. <laughs> that guy's amazing. I couldn't imagine it. No, no, you couldn't. I really couldn't. <laughs> when what was the first police story you remember? Oh, or, or maybe not that you remember, but that you were you can remember being told. Like maybe not the story, but you can remember when they were being told. I'm going to tell you two. Uh, so. I'll go back to when I was in, I was a reserve officer. Your, your dad was my FTO and your dad was my fucking hero. Okay. I, I looked for any opportunity I could to ride with him because he was the quintessence of law enforcement to me. Okay. Still is. So we're, we're driving around. We used to play this. We used to play uh, golf radar. <laughs> Okay, so we'd run radar, and he would uh, he would be running radar and on cars coming down the road, and, and I would guess you know twenty nine, and and he would say twenty seven. They'd be doing twenty five, and so he gets the low score. He, he wins the golf the golf round, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we we would do that all the time. Well, again, we're on graveyard shift because. I don't know why, but your granddad always ended up on graveyard shift, your dad. So uh, <clears throat> one night we're driving down this uh, industrial area, and I tell your dad, granddad, hey, I got to pee. And so in this industrial area, uh, there was there were a couple of open fields, and there was like a, a tree line. And he's like, yeah, I'll pull over right here. You can pee. And as I'm opening the door, to go out and pee because it's fucking three o'clock in the morning. You know, there's nobody around. He says, 
don't pee on anybody. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what the fuck was that about? Right? So I jump out of the car. I walk up to this tree line. And I, I fucking unzip my pants. And I'm just getting ready to pee. And I hear, okay, officer, I give up. I'm like, what the fuck? So, so I zip up real quick. I'm like, yeah, you, you're damn right you do. <laughs> and I grabbed this kid. And he's, he was just, I mean, he was breaking curfew. Is you know, it's big fucking deal. He's breaking curfew. So I grab him. And, and I'm like a brand new reserve. So I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to do with this guy. So I walk him back to the car. And your your grandfather is sitting in the car, and he starts belly laughing as I'm walking up. And he goes, he gets out. He goes, "What do you got?" And I said, "I'm not sure, but this guy said, okay, I give up." <laughs> I have no idea. I you can chalk it up to sixth sense, intuition, whatever you want to, but the last the last thing out of your grandfather's mouth. When I get out of the car, is don't pee on anybody. And I fucking <laughs> literally almost pissed on this guy. <laughs> it was just some kid. It was a sixteen-year-old kid. Kid after you know, out after curfew. But your grandfather just like I, I'm not saying that he knew that he would be there, but he fucking knew he would be there. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one of my very earliest stories. So another one. About the same time, I was a brand spanking new reserve officer. Uh, we get a call of uh, a suicide in a, a small neighboring town that, that at the time we were not uh, doing policing for, but it was covered by the sheriff's office, the local sheriff's office. And uh, so we went there because we knew the sheriff's office was understaffed and we would cover for him. So we get there, we walk in, and uh, there is a young adult male who's laying on the ground, had shot himself through the chest, with uh, 357 Magnum, and he was dead. Uh, he, your grandfather was, uh, he was my FTO, and, you know, he tells me, okay, you know, I want you to secure the scene, you know, do this, gives, gives me a few uh, tasks to do. And uh, pretty soon the, the old captain shows up because, as it turns out, uh, this guy who had committed suicide was the son of one of our officers who lived in the neighboring town. And uh, here I am. I'm literally weeks into my career as a law enforcement officer. It's 1994. And I, it, your, your grandfather wisely put me on outside security. He wanted me to get away from what was going on inside. Guy was deceased. So I go outside and I'm waiting by the police car. And the old captain shows up and he asked me what I saw and I told him, yeah, I'd gone in with this, with this crusty old sergeant and saw what I saw and, you know, I'm working uh, scene security, as I was told. This, crest, this this old captain, he puts his arm around my shoulder and he says, Welcome to law enforcement. And that was my introduction to law enforcement. Uh, I worked with the officer whose son had killed himself for many years after that. Had to look him in the eye uh, every shift. 
and try to forget about what I saw and about what he went through and about what I experienced with him because I had been there when he saw his son laying in his living room. Uh, that officer is now passed away. Good man, solid man, great cop. Um, welcome to law enforcement. It's the way it goes. The Snitch Podcast is dedicated to preserving the verbal stories of modern-day police officers, your lives and your own words. If you are interested in being a part of this multimedia project, please contact us at thesnitchpodcast at gmail.com.